I don't know yet how to meet you on Snapchat, but like, <laughs> like challenge accepted. I'm Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, founder of Grapevine Health and your host of the Grapevine Health Podcast, a podcast highlighting stories, health insights, and experiences of community members. We started this podcast because too often discussions and decision-making about health and the healthcare system don't include perspectives from the people we serve. So listeners, if you have a personal story or an experience from working in the community or on the front lines of healthcare, contact us and we might have you on the show. This week, I'm talking to Dr. Toya Najai, a primary care doctor who tells us about the importance of trust in healthcare. I have been wanting to just have a casual conversation with you about trust for the longest time. Everybody, it comes up all the time. It's just, it's that thing that's always there, that thread running through everything that nobody really wants to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, let me let me talk to Toyin about this. Let's talk about it. You're the trust lady. But first, <laughs> introduce yourself. Tell people who you are. Um, so I'm Toyin Ajayi. I'm a family doc, um, and I'm the co-founder and one of the chief and the chief health officer at City Block Health. Um, we're based in New York. Um, we take care of folks with complex physical, mental health, and social needs um, across a bunch of different places in the U.S. and really aspire to be a trusted and trustworthy um, source of care and of um, relationships and accompaniment for people who have lots of reasons to not trust the healthcare system. So how did you get the idea to found CityBlock? Well, so I started, um, you know, I've always wanted to just take care of people and like help make the world and and often people's day-to-day just a little bit better. Um, and, uh, I found in healthcare that, that it's actually really hard to do that as a practicing doctor in most traditional healthcare systems. Cause I was working as a, as a, as a primary care doc in a community health center. And then as a hospitalist, um, where I took care of people who, you know, had to get admitted to the hospital for things like pneumonia or heart failure or having a heart attack or a stroke. And often I would see them for like two, three, four days, um, often at the very worst moments in their lives, right? When you're sick and in the hospital and afraid and vulnerable. And I really wanted to be able to do more to help make sure they never had to go through that again. Um, and I really wanted to understand all the factors that had driven them to, to be there in the first place. And what I noticed was that um, more often than not, it was my patients who um, had fewer means economically, people who were struggling sort of just day-to-day existence, um, my patients of color who um, often had the worst outcomes and often had the fewest resources in the community to help prevent them from coming to the hospital or help take care of them when they got sent home um, so that they wouldn't have to come back. And I realized that it was because our healthcare system is pretty broken in, in most ways that we um, provide health services, particularly in lower income communities. And that means that, you know, we, um, we really wait until people get sick before we invest um, healthcare resources um, to, to make sure that they, that they have what they need. It means we don't really think about the connection between the mind and the body and the community and how it drives mm. healthcare and health needs. We send you to a cardiologist if you've got a heart problem, a kidney specialist if you've got a kidney problem but we don't really think about how all of that stuff fits together and how we can better 
just really address people's social needs as well as their physical needs and then their mental health needs. Um, and we don't spend enough time with people. Um, you know, if we, we see all the statistics in the data, you know, the average doctor's office appointment or your nurse practitioner's appointments, like less than 10 minutes. And most of the time they're spending on the computer and not really talking or listening to you. And so mm-hmm. how could we possibly get to the bottom of what's really happening for people if we're not even spending the time and then you sort of top it all off and like our typical system isn't trustworthy, which means like, you know, nobody's following up to make sure you get what you need. Um, you don't always get like robust and clear and consistent information. Um, uh, people don't like always act like they care about where you're coming from or what matters to you. And when you think about all the components of a trusted relationship, the system isn't really like, doesn't really have that at, at scale. Um, and so the idea to, to found City Block um, was really about trying to, think about what, what would the world look like if, if healthcare was really different, like if it was tailored to people's needs, if we like didn't make you jump through all these hoops just to get 10 minutes of a doctor's attention, like what if doctors came to you? What if we texted you or called you even when you weren't in the doctor's office to see how you're doing? What if we had therapists on our team as well as community health partners to like help you navigate your social needs as well as your mental health needs and just to like be a listening ear sometimes, because that's sometimes that's all that people need is to know that somebody cares. And so we thought we could do better um, by organizing a system that that really like meets people where they're at and tries to like address a holistic set of their needs and not just like one thing at a time. Um, so that was the inspiration. Yeah. So this notion that we should meet people where they are, you hear that term so much. It's so common that it begins to lose its meaning. Mm-hmm. So how are you different? How is City Block different when it comes to meeting people where they are? Yeah, so I think that there's um, there's a lot of meanings to that, right? Like there's a very literal concrete meaning, which I think is important, right? Like, so, you know, for most people, most healthcare providers, no fault of their own, if you need to see your doctor or your nurse or your nurse practitioner, you got to make an appointment, you got to call in advance, you got to like, get childcare if you've got kids, get transportation if you don't live close by, go to the doctor's office, wait in a waiting room in order to get let into the room where you get care, right? Like you physically have to transport your body and like take time off work and bear all of the costs to get to healthcare. So, so first of all, like, why, why is that? Like, especially in this day and age, like it's like, you know, we've got technology. We've also just got like, you know, services that that people are used to getting on demand which means like when you need it right and so so first of all like let's physically go to where people are at which means we'll come to your house if it's more convenient for us to come to your house we'll connect with you like on on text messages if you'd like to text we'll do that i had one, I had a patient once who was like if you just snapchat me when to take my insulin then i'll take it i was like i don't know yet how to meet you on snapchat but like <laughs> like challenge accepted. Like if I can do it, I'll do it. Right. Like we'll find you where you're at physically. That means you're like, you're on your smartphone, you're at work, but you really just need a quick phone call to check about your medications. It means you're at home and you need somebody to come to your house because the hassle of you getting out the house, you know, with all the things you got going on is too great. Um, it means, you know, one of the things that, um, always blows my mind is, is, you know, most primary care and mental health clinics in the community, they don't have after hours access. It's I know. Like, like, what if you have a problem that's not between eight and six? Like you most can go of to the do. ER. Like, right? And so it's like even stuff like that. It's like we're here for you, twenty four seven. Call like a human being will answer the phone. Who cares about you? 
and like, we'll try to figure out what to do to keep you safe and in your home. So there's that. But then there's the other piece, which is a little bit more like meta metaphorical, I guess, which is like, we'll meet you where you at just in terms of what you need from the health system and in terms of all the things that you're bringing with you. And what I mean by that is, you know, traditionally healthcare says, all right, you come to the office, we tell you what's wrong with you. We tell you what to do. And if you do it, you do it. And if you don't, you don't, whatever. But like, I'm going to tell you, right. I'm going to write the prescription. Like, it's not my problem if you don't have money to pay the copay. Not my problem if you don't read English or you don't have your readers and you can't even read the instructions on the pill bottle. It's not my problem if your arthritis in your hand is so bad that you can't open the bottle. It's not my problem if you really don't like the side effects. Like our job is like, give you the thing and like, so be it. And, and we know that like some people are not ready to, to do the things that even if they want to, they're not ready to do the things that we as healthcare professionals think they ought to do. Or they mm. cannot, they want to, but they cannot. So as an example, um, really easy to tell somebody who's struggling with, um, with their high blood pressure, they just need to like exercise and eat better. And they may want to, but like, what if they can't afford to eat like healthy organic food? What if there's like no safe place to go for a walk in their neighborhood in the evenings and they work all day when it's during the daylight? Like we got to meet you where you're at. And that might mean actually, you know what? I'm not going to tell you to go exercise by running around your neighborhood. I'm going to work with you and figure out what you can do at home. Like, can we do some squats in the living room? Can yeah. we do an exercise video together? Can we work on just substituting like soda and like, we'll figure out all the rest of the stuff. Cause actually water is cheaper than soda. That's one thing I know you can do on a budget. Like <laughs> we'll meet you where you're at in terms of your stages of change. And if you tell me to go like F off, like you're not ready to talk to somebody about your health, that's cool too. We'll be here for you when you're ready to like really engage. And that piece, that like non-judgmental, non-demanding accompaniment of like really meeting people where they are. Like, I will just stand with you. If that's all I can do, if that's all you'll let me do, I just want to be beside you while you go through your journey in life. And if you let me, I'm going to try to clear a path that may be a little bit less painful and more comfortable and more aligned with your goals, but only if you let me. And if you don't let me, I'm still going to stand right beside you. And that's cool. And we'll go on the journey together. That's not the way that healthcare has typically treated people and talked to people. It's usually been like our way or the highway. And if you don't do the thing we want you to do, we're going to call you like non-compliant. We're going to say you, you know, fell off of the, whatever the treatment path. We're going to like roll our eyes when you come to the doctor's office. Cause your blood pressure is still high. That's not and how call you non-compliant. Right. Right. Very um, judgmental term. I still hear people saying that. No, yeah. still. And so, so like there is something about meeting people and people know, and when we tra talk about trust, like, you know, when someone holds you in high regard, when they respect you, when they respect your opinions, when they want the best for you. And you know, when they think you're just like here to take up space and you won't do what they're going to tell you to do anyway. Yeah. And they have that spidey sense, just like the rest of us, right? How do you think we can teach this and medical school and nursing school and pharmacy school, like they're out the healthcare workforce. Can we teach it? I think so. I mean, the thing that speaks the most to me is always like people's stories. Like I just, you know, I think that um, for me anyway, and I think that this is true actually of a lot of clinicians, like there's something so privileging about being witnessed to people's like deepest, most intimate stories. And like, I mean, in what other context, like what other profession can you be like, well, did you poop today? What yeah. Color was it? <laughs> it's just like, and it's like, 
tell you, right? Like what? A, like that's that's like the level of like, and they'll tell you all about it and what they saw that's and how it floated and how yeah. They'll tell you all about it. And like, so we 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 have such a privilege, and I think we we don't like value that privilege, and then honor it by telling those stories to others and using those stories to shape our own narrative. Which what I mean by that is like the biggest lessons I've learned in my career as a physician and as a sort of leader in healthcare have come from my patients. And when I just put together all of the stories, their life stories, their experiences dropped to me, the, the things that I'm privileged to like bear witness to in their lives. And I retell that all it says to me is like resilience, power, wisdom. Maybe it doesn't look the same as your like Harvard trained MD, PhD classmates, but it is like forged in the like reality of like survival in a way that many of us who are practicing in healthcare have not had to experience. And those like listening to those stories, like the people behind the clinical like presentation to me is the way to, to learn. Cause it starts with empathy and it starts with like real like appreciation, respect for the human beings that we're caring for. And it's very easy when you're running quickly and you're, you know, getting so specialized in like one organ system to forget that these are, this is a human in front of you that you are so lucky to be in the room with and have access to like some of their deepest and most intimate, like physical and emotional realities. Like, wow, like take advantage of that and let that shape you and let that help you learn over time. And I think if we can figure out a way to do that, some programs do a lot of like narrative medicine, storytelling, reflection, debrief, like there's something there, but I think tapping into that more and more is like such a powerful way to teach this. I wish we could send students to spend a week in the home of patients or send them into the community so that they could hang out on, you know, certain street corners. I know there's some Say there are some safety issues around that, but there's got to be a way to get people more proximal because I think that's what's missing. And that's where the trust is built from proximity. Totally. So before we go, you are great at telling stories. So I want you to tell us a story. You know, you've been at this a long time, even before you founded City Block or co-founded City Block. I'll tell you a story from before City Block, but that really resonated for me. And I continue to um, draw lessons here. Um, I had a patient um, who I was taking care of. I was her primary care doctor. Um, we still are a little bit in touch. Um, so, and she gave me permission to share this story because it was, it was like poetry to me. She, she has... Um, a really long, long history of having mental health challenges um, and will tell you stories of kind of all of the psychiatric units she cycled through when she was younger um, and the ways that she kind of learned to game the system and really advocate for herself, even despite the fact that as a Black woman with a mental health diagnosis, a serious mental health diagnosis, um, people always thought she didn't know what was going on. Um, and she also uh, had a couple physical physical problems. She had diabetes, it's really bad. She had a seizure disorder, it was pretty bad. And, and would often um, uh, go to the hospital um, with a seizure, with a bad, you know, um, high blood, blood, high blood sugar from her diabetes because she wasn't taking her meds. And we were pretty early in our relationship. And um, 
we decided to go for a walk. It was like a beautiful day. And we went for a walk and we talked and we talked. She told me her whole life story. And I was kind of sad that we were walking because I wanted to be writing this down. Like, like there's just so many like vivid parts of her history that were so powerful. But there's something about the rhythmic nature of moving outside that I think just like opens up, you know, a conversation. And I was, you know, I was also vulnerable with her. I told her about my childhood and we shared experiences and really got to know each other as, as people. And she said, Hey, Dr. T, I need you to know something. She said, I'm not non-compliant. I'm defiant. And I was like, okay, mm. no, I, I stopped, <laughs> stopped in my tracks. I was like, say that one more time. And what I realized, what I learned was a couple things. One is, you know, she'd heard all the things that people said about her in the healthcare system. She'd heard them say, oh, she's a 60-something-year-old lady, non-compliant, comes in here with seizure, blah, blah, blah. She'd heard all that stuff. Whether or not they, people said it to her face, she knew exactly what people thought of her. And what she wanted me to know is that she was a person with agency and she was seizing control. And sometimes, and I make this up, this part I made up, I like make it up and I infer it, but I think it's true. Sometimes when you have had no control and no agency for your entire life, you've been told where to go to school, you've been told when you're hospitalized, where to sleep, what to eat, what to do. Like if you are poor and you're a woman of color in this country and you were born in the 1950s, 1940s, you have not had a lot of control over your life and you exercise your control and your agency however you please And sometimes that looks like not doing what the doctors want you to do, but that is you saying I'm in charge of my life. And for me, that was like, ah, because what I learned from that was that trauma and marginalization and oppression sometimes shows up in healthcare in an oppositional way. It sometimes shows up like people aren't doing what they should do for their health and well-being, when actually they're like making choices or they're just saying I'm alive and I'm here and I have a say. And that was really powerful for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I got goosebumps hearing that. She's like, I mean, profound, profound human. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have this time with you. And thank you so much for all you're doing uh, for the community. And I wish you the best of luck. I'll be watching. Thank you. I know you well, and I appreciate everything you do. You're, you're a real inspiration to me. You know that. That was Dr. Toya Najai, co-founder of CityBlock, sharing her perspectives about the importance of trust and improving health outcomes for the underserved. Thanks for listening to the Grapevine Health Podcast. Our producer is Nicholas Elias. Please like us on social media. You can find us at Grapevine Health on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Health Grapevine. Until next time, I'm Dr. Lisa, signing off.